When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Sugar and Silk. I say sugar and silk, although it's all sugar and no silk tonight, uh, as regrettably my learned co-anchor, Michael Alagile Jr., is otherwise engaged. But fear not, because I have Simon Willis of Ace Podcast Nation, the man who makes it all happen behind the scenes, uh, to act as my foil this evening. Good of you to be here, Simon. Yeah, thank you, mate. Always fun to uh, have a chat about boxing, <clears throat> represent the casual fan, as it were. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, you know, usually I would take the lead on this thing and bounce something off Michael, but since that's your particular uh, talent as an interviewer, why don't you throw something at me and we'll go from there? Yeah, I mean, suppose we could start with the the Saturday night fight night, if you like. I think um, the Michael Conlon fight was the one which I had uh, an eye on because I do like Michael Conlon as a fighter. Um find him quite entertaining. and um, But... Uh, Lopez looks the real deal from what I saw. I've only seen clips of it, unfortunately, but I will watch it in full uh, well, later. It's interesting to say he's the real deal. He's obviously dangerous as hell. I mean, I think a lot of boxing observers would agree that he almost looks like just some ultra-brutally tough white-collar fighter, skills-wise. He's very unorthodox and ungainly and unrhythmic. Throws strange combinations. Like, he'll throw... He'll throw a right hook and a left jab instead of a right cross and a left hook. And he jumps at his, his opponents, you know. Um, but that makes them very unpredictable. I mean, it, there seems to be this new breed of Mexican fighter that punches like the devil, is relentlessly strong, doesn't seem to get tired, and um, but is very kind of threadbare technically compared to some of the old kind of Mexican maestros of old, of, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez and a Lupe Pintor, you know, and a Salvador Sanchez. Uh, and Eric Morales and what have you. But, you know, and I think, um, I, I know we don't want to segue too quickly, but I think Mauricio Lara is completely that bill as well, although he was extraordinarily uh, kind of listless last night. But, yeah, Lo- Lopez, I figured Conlon is a superior technician to Luis Alberto Lopez. We knew that ahead of time. But, you know, obviously the danger um, and the selling point of Lopez is that he hits you on the chin, he's got a good a good chance of of cancelling out any deficit on the card, you know. And I and I I figured as soon as uh, I saw the way Conlon was getting involved with him early doors, which was a, it was a great fight while it lasted, by the way. And there was a fantastic atmosphere there in Belfast. Um, it, I think it stole the show in terms of quality boxing for the evening of the three big cards that was on uh, British uh, television platforms. But but um, you know, I, I figured that it was going to be a matter of time, and he was going to hit Conlon again. And then, as as you know, he did with that with that short right uppercut, which ended matters. I mean, Adam Booth threw the towel in, um, but I don't think Michael was getting up in any case any time soon. No. Um, in terms of being like a trainer yourself um, and the way you follow boxing, I'm kind of interested in how how difficult is it to pre- prepare for a fighter like Lopez? Like you say, he's a bit unorthodox, throws these kind of different combinations, but is also 
very able of you know taking these shots and kind of just keep going and going. How do you prepare fighters for people like that differently to someone who maybe is a you know like a technical, more technical boxer? I think I'd just get a bunch of unlicensed fighters with horseshoes and their gloves, probably. Um, <laughs> but you know, no, I mean, I think you. Uh, it's an interesting question because the thing is, you don't want to take too much punishment in the gym, and people are often not fans. People, if they're sparring a tall guy or a southpaw, they'll get a tall southpaw, or they'll, or they'll get a bunch of tall southpaws in if they can. If there's boxing a stocky, aggressive guy, a box fighter, they'll try and get guys like that. But if you're boxing a murderous puncher, let's say like even a Deontay Wilder, let's say, something everybody can relate to, I'm not aware that people in the industry think we're going to get all these murderous punchers. I mean, obviously, they, they tend to be something of a relative rarity in boxing anyway, really elite, truly elite punchers. But I don't necessarily think people get guys in the gym who can replicate the power of somebody you've got because you don't want people like that teeing off on you in camp. So it's, it's an interesting question, really. How do you prepare for a guy like that? You'd have to get... I think you'd have to get kind of strong novice, more novice guys that weren't, you know, consummate technicians to to really come at him. You know, maybe heavier fighters as well is, you know, who are more limited, but they're strong and fit and relentless just to stick it on him. I think that's what I'd be looking for. I'd be, but um, obviously when I say, you know, he looks crude and ungainly, there's obviously a method in the madness and he's, and he does something that works for him because he beat Josh Warrington, you know, who's a pretty accomplished fighter as well, you know, so, well, you know what, Simon, he reminded me, I don't know if you remember a fighter called R Ricardo Mayorga from Nicaragua in the early part of the 21st century who caused a big upset when he beat Vernon Forrest uh, twice. Um, okay. And he was, uh, he lost his title to Corey Spinks and eventually he got kind of humbled by Oscar de la Hoya to a great degree. But he was a crazy guy with a crazy style. Outside the ring, he was a wild man as well. You know, he light up cigarettes, he lit up a cigarette <laughs> in the ring after he um, beat Vernon uh, Forrest the first time, you know, but he, Lopez's rhythm and his way of leaping at a guy and his unpredictable combinations and the kind of juxtaposition he put them together with, it reminded me kind of of, of Ricardo Mayorga, you know. So it's it's an interesting question how you get ready for him. Well, you, you have to get someone who's who's going to be a bit like that at the risk of stating the obvious, you know, who is ungainly, who is unorthodox, and who is really strong and maybe a, maybe for the practical um, simulation, who's a, a couple of divisions heavier than your guy. Um, and in regards to Conlon specifically last night, was there anything which you felt he could, I know it was only sort of lasted about five rounds, didn't it? But like anything he yeah. could have done differently to avoid the outcome as it was? I think he needed not to get involved with him. The thing is, it's a very emotional occasion. And they said, uh, they were talking, I think Carl Frampton was saying before the fight that it was important he didn't get too caught up in the atmosphere. And that there's a possibility, as hostile an environment as it can be, to, to, to fight the home guy in Belfast. The point was made that maybe that La, maybe that um, Lopez felt there was no pressure on him, and all the pressure was on was on the hometown hero. You know that, that it can work that way sometimes. I, when I saw the way, because it, it, it was emotional and, and it was a big atmosphere there, and it was intense. The pace was intense. Um, and when I saw Conlon exchanging with him, I didn't think that was going to and well for him, you know, and, I, and I'm not convinced that, uh, that, that boxing in Southport as much as he did was, was the right thing as well, um, you know, so um, it's easy for me to say, isn't it? It's very easy for me to say, but I think he needed to get less involved with the guy. I mean, you look at uh, Lee Wood last night and he was very cautious to engage with Mauricio Lara, you know, from bitter experience and with good reason. And Lee Wood, I don't think it was a usually impressive performance, to be honest with you. But he did what he had to do and he stayed on the outside. And that's as easy as it is for me to say it. That's what Conlon needed to do uh, to last a little longer and give himself a better chance of coming on in the later rounds. If, if the other guy, Lopez, people say, to be honest with you, I can't acutely remember the fight. I did watch it, but um, I was in Texas at the time. And people say that, that Lopez got tired a little bit in the, the later rounds against Josh Warrington. So... You know, Conlon could have perhaps given himself a better chance by being a bit less gung-ho early doors, perhaps not getting nailed and taking him into the later rounds and trying his luck, you know. Yeah, and I mean, we'll talk uh, Leeward now, but just before we kind of move into that direction, I was wondering what you think's next for the two fighters involved with the, you know, Conlon and Lopez. Where would you, if you were making those decisions, take them next? Well, some people were saying about Conlon that it was a now or never type moment, which I, I don't know about that because he's it's not like he's anciently old. He's got the you know he's got the two the two losses um, to, to Lee Wood and to Lopez. 
but he's a popular fighter, isn't he? You know, with with a big following. So it's not as if he, he can't. I, I don't see that it's not viable for him to get another opportunity. To be honest with you, um, um, it, and it depends on a fighter's psyche how he reacts to being knocked out. He obviously didn't suffer at all. I don't think his psyche from from the kind of scary knockout he suffered against Lee Wood. You know, when he got knocked yeah. clean out. But that was that was kind of frightening. But he was on social media the, the next day in hospital bed saying, "I'm sound, fellas. I'm all right, you know, and yeah. um, God bless you all and all the rest of it." So, um, as long as as long as Michael's uh, confidence isn't affected by getting stopped again, then I don't see why he can't come again. And you know, and, um, I mean, these days the trouble is these days a, a guy of his pedigree, his amateur pedigree, is considered a failure if he doesn't win a world title in today's climate, isn't he? So I guess that's the. Um, I think he has another opportunity to do that. Um, Lopez, you know, he's the he's the he's the IBF featherweight champion. You know what I'm saying? That you hear me hesitate because it literally is harder to keep track these days, particularly when you have a, a certain level of contempt for the multiplicity of, of all the world title straps. I believe he's the IBF um, featherweight champion. And here's the thing, right? You ask me right now, and I'm an anorak. Um, who the rival champions at featherweight are, and I'm and I'm drawing a blank momentarily because it's so hard to keep abreast of the situation. I mean, obviously, okay, so no, all right, Lee Wood is the WBA featherweight champion, right? We know that, and it, yeah. you know, and also he won it last night against a man who had already lost it because he'd lost it in the weigh-in, hadn't he? Um, of course, yeah. So who's the IBF featherweight champion? Just to start for ten, you know, someone will probably comment and tell us who it is, but at the minute, I'm drawing a blank on it because it's hard to keep keep abreast. And to be able to reel these names off sometimes. Yeah, it's difficult to keep track of, isn't it? There's so many um, different uh, titles and federations and all the rest of it. Like, for someone like me who doesn't follow boxing as kind of intensely as you do, and, you know, <clears> what chance have I got? If you if you don't know off the top of your head, well, like, I've got well, the less chance. Here was the genealogy of the situation even recently. Lee Wood, when he beat that Chinese fighter called Zhu Ken, that was for a WBA regular belt, I believe. It could have been an interim, but I believe it was for it was for one of the um, not quite full WBA versions of their world title. Then I think Lee got upgraded, possibly before he lost that. Hence the full title to Mauricio Lara last time when he got pole X by that left hook, you know, and then. Um, so that was how that came about, you know. Uh, as, as for Lopez, he, he beat Josh Warrington, you know, quite simply. Josh Warrington, of course, had regained the title from Kiko Martinez, who had sensationally knocked out Kid Galahad, who had beaten... And, and, and you know what? I'm just testing myself here for the sake of it. Uh, Warrington had actually given up the IBF title, hadn't he? Because he was looking for bigger opportunities. I think he didn't want to fight... I can't know. Honestly, son, I can't remember who he didn't want to fight. He didn't. He didn't fancy the option. He was being made to fight a mandatory, whoever it was. I don't know if it was a rematch with Galahad. I honestly don't. Um, but I remember thinking Lee uh, that, that Josh Warrington made a career decision to give up the IBF featherweight title, and then he got knocked out by Mauricio Lara in a non-title fight after that. So it made it look like a um, an unwise decision. And you know, and and, and there you go. And now he's. Uh, he was back and then he lost to Lopez who's now beaten Condon who lost to Lee Wood last time so it's it's kind of a merry-go-round right? Indeed um, so I just had a quick look at the, the list of featherweight champions uh, as far as I can gather the WBA featherweight champion is Lee Wood the IBF featherweight champion is obviously now Lee Wood isn't it? Is that what they fought for last night? No, the, no sorry no, w, no, WBA Lopez. was last night yeah sorry uh, Lopez, Lopez is the IBF and uh, who was the other one? There was some. There was one other one. WBA. Is... W, who's the WBC featherweight champion? That's what. That's what we're asking. Uh, WBC is. Well, it was the last one listed on my list is Eric Morales. So there's no. Oh no no sorry I they they've cut it off really weird. Uh, Ray Vargas. Ray Vargas. Yeah, Ray Vargas, who's from San Antonio, who beat a guy okay. called Osharki Foster in San Antonio recently-ish for the title. So, yeah, exactly. So, when you ask me what's next for, for um, particularly for Alberto Lopez, see, the thing is, as hard as they can be to put together, unification fights do actually seem to be in fashion right now, you know, and we do have, a, we do at least have some undisputed world champions in Canelo Alvarez, uh, Devin Haney, although I know a lot of people don't think he, he beat 
Vasil Lomachenko, but officially got the decision. He's an undisputed champion. And you also have um, an undisputed like middleweight champion of the world in um, in Charlo. You know, so it's not as if things are not quite as bad as we sometimes make them out. And as, as close as I sometimes make them out to be, because we do have, um, I believe we've got three undisputed world champions across the boxing landscape right now, which is better than nothing. And the women do it. The ladies, I suspect it's for different in the case of, of the women's game. I think there's there's not enough of them to 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 fight and, and to live in separate universes and separate kind of championship streams the way that the guys can. So I think they kind of have to fight each other because that's where yeah. that's definitely where the money is and where the box office is. So we've got a bunch of undefeated women world champions as well. So some people, of course, would see that as a positive thing, whereas some of the diehards would see that as a negative thing because they don't, they're still not comfortable with the fact that birds are boxing to begin with. Mm, I have friends who still, who still give me a hard time for covering something like Shannon Courtney pulls out of a fight and makes a statement. And he's, I've got one friend in particular, my mate John Doyle, who might be watching tonight, who said, you know, he'll say to me, is this really the stuff of a serious boxing page? But, you know, because purely because they're women, that, that's, that's his take on it. So I know a few of the diehards are still like that. Interesting. Um, so you mentioned it, obviously Leeward. Leeward fought last night for the WBA featherweight title, uh, winning by unanimous decision versus uh, Lara. What did you? You mentioned earlier you didn't think it was a great performance by Leeward. Um, not really. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative, and I'm sure his team are over the moon for him as, as is a lad himself. But I thought the fight was extraordinarily listless and tepid. Uh, Lara was awful. I, I thought he was playing possum and he was going to be that ticking time bomb. And I actually thought. To be honest, I did believe Wood could win this time. And I, I, I thought that, um, quite simply, if he could stay out of trouble and, you know, be a little bit more cautious, which he certainly was, then I, I definitely believed he could win. And that was the value better recommended to people. I saw Wood 7-2 to two on points on Skybet. And I said, that's a nice a nice, nice flutter nice. if you're looking for a bet. I wouldn't have risked a lot of money on it because you'd be nervous as hell when it, you know, against a puncher like Lara that you know you wouldn't but you wouldn't want to bet more money, more money than you could afford to lose on it. But but Lara, okay, let's talk about the situation. Um he was told on Wednesday the last now okay, I, I would need to ask a member of the Board of Control for absolute um clarification on this, confirmation of this. But as I understand it, could be wrong, but my understanding is this that when you're getting ready for a title fight, you have three check weigh-ins, I believe. Um, there's one 30 days out from the fight, okay? Because they mm -hmm. want to ensure, they want to monitor your weight-making process and progress because they want to ensure that you're making it safely and not in a manner course, that would be yeah. dangerous and, you know, and, 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 and a risk, an extra risk to your health, above and beyond the entry level of risk of getting in, in the ring in the first place. So they, they will weigh you at 30 days out and they'll weigh you at seven days out, a week away, and they'll weigh you two days before. And they want you to hit certain targets at each of those intervals. Now, I believe, bear in mind, the featherweight limit is 126 pounds, yeah? Or nine stone mm -hmm. dead. Now, I understand that on the Wednesday before the fights, which would have been two days before the weigh-in on Friday, Lara was weighing 133 pounds when I believe the board protocol required him to be no heavier than 130. So what they're saying is they don't want you to have to lose any more than um, four pounds in the last two days, supposedly. And once again, I could be wrong, but this is the understanding I've gleaned yeah. in the last few days. Um, now, he was 133. That is what I, I was told. Now, they said to him off the back of that, you know, sticking to their guns, which is only right and proper. Otherwise, what's the point in having rules? They said, you cannot weigh 126 pounds uh, on on Friday at the weigh-in, uh, the official weigh-in. You are forbidden to come in at 126, you know, championship limit. If you do, you are not boxing. We will not sanction the fight. So what they were saying to him is you can still fight, but you will have to forfeit your title on the scales because everybody knows what happens when a champion doesn't, or, or, you know, yeah, when a champion doesn't come in on weight at the official weigh-in, he is stripped of the title. The fashion now, in the old days, I, I seem to recall that fights got scrapped on that basis, although I don't remember that many fighters failing to make weight back in the day, to be honest with you. But today, it seems a lot more common, oddly, even though we've got this more you know, modern nutrition and better understanding that people are forever banging on about. Uh, it seems to be a much more common uh, syndrome these days for fighters to, to miss weight, as they call it today. But, um, you know, but the fashion nowadays is if a champion does um, miss the weight, 
that the fight can still go ahead. And what they say is he's stripped of the title. If he wins, the title will be declared vacant. And if he loses, then the challenger who's still made championship won't work hard for it. It's not penalised. They can still get their purse and their payday and they can still get their, their world championship glory if they win. You know what I mean? So, in a way, that is fairer, I suppose, because otherwise you'd see that they... They wouldn't fight. They wouldn't get paid. They wouldn't get the chance to to realise that they you know dream of becoming a world champion, all because somebody else didn't. Uh, yeah, was not sufficiently dedicated. You know, so I can see the logic of letting fights go ahead. But this time, you had a guy that came in at 129 pounds and something point something, which means he was almost four pounds heavier than than Ward who made the weight. And given that he'd knocked him out last time, uh, and the kind of puncher that he is. A lot of people thought it was it was very ill-advised to, to let that fight go ahead. But obviously, Ben Davison, who knows what he's doing, said, sought certain assurances about what Lara would weigh the next day, uh, Saturday night, fight night, last night. And um, he was satisfied with whatever was agreed. And then, you know, the rest, I mean, Lee Wood did what he had to do. I don't think... I don't think he lost too many rounds. You know, he, he stayed on the outside. He was throwing the jab to the body. Then, then you know, he'd throw twos and threes. Then he'd get out again. Uh, he was very careful. He was blocking the left hook, which knocked him out last time with the right hand. Sometimes he's... I know it sounds obvious, Simon, but sometimes the adjustments are that simple. Um, when you think... When when you're pulling out or when, when you finish punching, get your hand back here and let him hit that glove instead of hitting you on the chin. You know, uh, with course, that yeah. whipping left hook. So... He was he was definitely mindful of that. He did all the right things, you know. He did good corner work, good game plan, and and there you have it, you know. But um, why Lara was so bad, I don't know. I don't know if he was completely tuned out because he'd already lost the title, and whether that had affected him adversely. Whether you know, because uh, you don't always know how much it means. I, I know it sounds silly, but you don't always have much, know how much a belt means to a fighter. They might be more interested in money. They might not care as much as people might think they do. Um, particularly not if they're thinking of moving up away in the next fight. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I don't know why Lara was as bad as he was. Was it? I mean, was he weight weakened? I wouldn't have thought so because he didn't have to make it. I don't see how he no. could have been weight weakened. Was he ill prepared? Had he been partying? And, and you know, had he let the kind of the uh, world championship status go to his head? Had he a few too many tequilas and tacos? Like, you know, uh, a la Andy Ruiz Jr. Maybe. I mean, that's some people have suggested that's what he did. He's a typical. Guy, you know, from 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 um, a very poor background, who suddenly found an era of celebrity status that he's enjoyed too much. But Lara was bad, you know. Lara was, I thought, he was super bad. I thought he had something in the locker, and he was playing possum, and he was going to come on. It never happened. It's it's interesting, uh, like a co- in terms of correlations to the his previous fight, Lara, in terms of the obviously he had the impressive knockout, and then sort of perform as badly as he did. I was going to ask you, is there been many cases, at least in recent years, where fighters have lost their title during those chat weights? Do you know what? I can't think of another example of it, Simon. I posted that the other day, saying, has anybody got precedent for this? Because we've seen loads of fighters fail to make the weights on the day, and we've seen the machinations that have followed, whether it's fights have been scrapped or the titles have been stripped or whatever. But I don't remember a defending champion being told on a Wednesday that he couldn't make the weight on a Friday because he because they weren't going to let him fight if he did make the weight. That to me, that's unique. Um, somebody told me that Jose Real Casimiro was supposed to fight Paul Butler from Ellesmere Paul, I believe. Um, didn't make the weight. Uh, this bantamweight, right? Um, didn't make the failed the check weigh in. They weren't happy with it, and in the end, the fight was scrapped. And in the end, Butler ended up fighting for for either a vacant title or an interim title against somebody else. Uh, and that's mm. how I think that maybe how, how Paul Butler ascended to the position that he did, that allowed him to go and fight, uh, you know, Inouye. But um, that when I asked about it for my learned flock, that was the only thing that came back that Casemiro had failed the check weigh in, but he didn't actually fight. So. This seems to be a this appears to be a unique situation, you know, which that's why I don't get because with all these fighters failing to make weight all the time, left, right, and center, um, I don't understand why more people aren't failing check weigh-ins. And, and you know what, Simon? He had to lose seven pounds in two days, right? Some fighters will tell you, old school fighters uh, and new alike will tell you, big deal. You know, yeah, I mean I can say that's uh, not that much. When I look at some of these MMA fighters, they'll lose that in two days easy. 
and this is the this is a British rule. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have. Yeah. It, it might not have been the case if they'd have fought in Nevada or New York or you know anywhere else or Mexico. So uh, I mean, I, I, once again, I would need to seek guidelines on that. But um, loads of fighters have crashed more weight now. Listen, Nigel Ben. We were reliably informed that Nigel Ben was five pounds over the weight on the day he fought Chris Eubank. <laughs> they fought on a Sunday, right? Okay, in September 1990. Um, Sorry, it was November 1990, November the 18th, 1990, just to do the kind of historian bit. Um, and um, they were, um, everybody says that back then they weighed in the same day. The fight was on a Sunday at the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, and they had to weigh in at lunchtime on Sunday and fight that evening. They put Nigel Ben on the scales in the morning just to do their own check weigh in, just the in house team check weigh in. And he was five and a half pounds over the middleweight limit. So they, they, he's like, they're telling you he was one six five and a half. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. he went. He, he he did running in sauna suits and you know in car parks and stuff. He, he shadow boxing inside a sauna and everything else. He, he he killed himself to get that five pounds off. So, you know, his superhuman effort on the day, uh, and then went into the fight and then produced a classic, but got stopped in the ninth round. So it's not like the fighters didn't used to do it, is it? Obviously, what the board no. is saying is we don't do it now. And we have safety procedures in place, and, and we've improved the game, you know, made it safer. But the um, but some fighters will tell you, I'm, I'm sure that Lara was still intending to make the weight and thought he could do it. And perhaps, perhaps this was a new, uh, you know what? No, it's, it shouldn't be new because he's fought in, he's fought in Britain before. At the risk of going down a rabbit hole, guys like that tend to train. He was training in Las Vegas, right? They said, yeah, or, or mm -hmm. no, hang on. Maybe Lopez was training in Las Vegas. But regardless, they'd all have to go through check weigh yes? For British boxing yeah. control sanctioned fights. So what happens? Do they send someone else out? Because they don't tend to get here until a couple of weeks before the fight. Once again, there's safety rulings about how, how, how early they must be here so they get over their jet lag. That's another thing which is stipulated. But some of the check weigh-ins must be, have to be carried out wherever they're training, in Mexico or Nevada or wherever, right? Yeah, they'd have to send someone over, I guess. Uh, so or... I can't see the border control sending Nick Laidman, uh, to this one of the guys who does a lot of check weigh-ins, yeah. or Bob Longhurst, um, out to Vegas to, to weigh in a Lopez or a, you know, or, or to Guadalajara or whatever to 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 to, to, to check weigh in a Lara. So I'm interested to see how those get carried out for foreign fighters who don't get here until maybe ten days before the fight or two weeks before the fight. Yeah, that's an interesting. I'd be very, I'd, I would be very interested to hear how they do that, like how they go oh. about that process. But also, I'm kind of caught in two minds with it. So I am a big advocate of making the weight cutting process for MMA and boxing as safe as possible. Yeah. Because I've seen and heard some horror stories, particularly in like the last ten years on both sides, and I think it's it is important. It can cause issues with when you're getting hit in the head and stuff and dehydration, of course. So, uh, you know, you want it to be as safe as possible. But then also you feel a bit frustrated that this guy's who's been so impressive has lost his title two days before the fight. And it feels a bit like, what, was that the reason he was so bad last night? Because he's, he's already lost his title. I don't know. But then if you're going to have rules, you've got to, there's no point in having those rules if you do not implement no, exactly. And I think that's the thing that the board, the board have got a good record of integrity. I, I feel, you know, some people try to, some people slag them off like they always will do when you're in a position of authority and governance. But I think that the board have got a decent record for safety and integrity and, and you know, all the rest of it. So, um, like you say, there's no point saying you're going to do check weigh-ins. Um, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you're not going to stand by the rules and, and veto somebody making a certain weight, if you decree that it's unsafe for to make it in that period of time, um, what I actually think we should do, and I know it's not going to happen, but I, I will be in favour of a return to same-day weigh-ins. And to caveat the concerns about same-day weigh-ins, they could still do the check weigh-ins, couldn't they? You know, yeah. they could they could monitor that the way they're doing now, but have it on the the uh, the day. I think that you would have less people abusing it then. 
but uh, let's say hello to Paul Driscoll who just tuned in and comment just come up. But um, you know, the thing is, to be honest with you, the same the previous day weighing is too important to the promotion nowadays and the whole social yes. media assignment. That's a big. That's a big. They they can sell. I believe at least they can sell. I'd have to once again. Notice I'll always defer when I don't know for sure. I'd have to look at figures and, and sales and how many people buy pay-per-view, you know, or, or new subscribers that, that, that certain uh, subscription channels get in the last 24 hours before a big fight, you know. Uh, but I believe they it can sell. It certainly doesn't hurt, does it? It certainly I believe doesn't they hurt, can sell quite a few more in, in the yeah. last 24 hours. I believe that. And the yeah. weigh-in is all a part of that, isn't it? And it wouldn't be the same, would it? It wouldn't be the same for a lot of the, um, the newer fans if, if it was all and for the broadcasters and for the fighters and for the promoters it wouldn't be um, the same if they had to cram that all into the same day it, it doesn't have the because not only that you've got the way in and then you've got all that kind of hours they talk about on the zone or on sky or whatever and then you've got another 24 hours to let the fight marinate haven't you you know yeah it's of, all part of the build-up isn't it and i think it, it is and i think it's too important to be to against it i think it's too important to them to ever change it's a bit like you know we Ray Mancini, who killed a guy, uh, one of his challengers, Duck Koo Kim, in 1982, um, in a WA lightweight title defence, and he and he happened to stop him in the 14th round, and because of that, that led to the it was a WBA title fight, but it led to the WBC reducing their title fights to 12 rounds. They were the first sanctioning body to do it of the three major sanctioning bodies back then. And um, it's always been represented as being on safety grounds. It was precipitated by the Ray Mancini Duck Kim fight. But Ray Mancini doesn't believe that. You know, the man who, who was okay. involved in the tragic affair, he said to me that he said, no, that was a TV decision. He said that 36 minutes, you know, it's 36 minutes plus 11 minutes of breaks in it, 47 minutes plus ring walks. He said that fits into a nice hour of a world title slot. It means you can do a world title fight in an hour. He said that makes more sense for broadcasters than than the old fifteen round distance. He was convinced it was a TV decision and not a safety one. So the overall kind of um, opinion of that coming from the boxing federations was that it was for safety grounds. So was it when they reduced it or down yeah, to twelve? Yeah, twelve to for fifteen to twelve. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, partly because I suppose the, the obvious logic of Duck Koo Kim um, met his, you know he was fatally injured in the 14th round, you know, so um, that was... But could that he not have just been... He could have also been injured in the, you know, the second round or the third round. Well, you was know, there a particular reason that. why they sort of linked it to the latter rounds? Steve, well, see, that's a good point because Steve Bunce made that point uh, last night. In, uh, I don't know how the conversation started, but it was on it was on BT Sport, the Condon broadcast. He was in, Steve was in uh, Belfast, and he said that Michael Wat, sorry, um, yeah, Michael Watson, when he was badly injured in the Chris Eubank re rematch in 1992 at White Hart Lane, he said that it's been proven. Some people criticised Jimmy Tibbs for letting him out. Obviously, Jimmy's got to make a split second decision, and his man was winning that fight by a street, and had just had Eubank on the deck before getting nailed with that hail mary uppercut himself, just as the bell rang. Uh, I don't think too many coaches would 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 have pulled their man out at that point when he was no. he was winning it and he only had another three minutes to get through and he said I'm fine Jimmy I'm fine you know uh, it seems to be wise after the event but and Steve Bunce said it was been proven to satisfaction uh, by experts that it, the injury occurred earlier on it would not have made a blind bit of difference if Jimmy had let him out for the 15th round or not that was what Steve Bunce said yesterday so you, you, okay. what, your point echoes that really. Indeed. Um, just very quickly then, uh, Lee Woods, what's next for him, do you think? Well, I mean, there's, there's big fights out there for Lee Woods, you know. Um, he's, he's, um, I, he said, because well, I thought it was kind of charming, because you've got to remember, he, he'd been obviously focused on his own fight, didn't know what happened. He said, who won? They asked him that in the interview um, post-fight, and he said, who won, Wood or Conlon? He said, because he, he needed to know, he says, whichever one of them won, I could fight them, couldn't I? He said so. Yeah. yeah. So he, he said, you know, um, sorry, not Ward or Conlon, um, Lopez or Conlon. So he said, obviously, a unification with Lopez could be on the cards. He said, how about Josh Warrington? Obviously, you know, that was a, a fight he was interested, of course. And that they'd be big, wouldn't it? Because Leah's got a big following um, in Nottingham, and Warrington has got a fanatical following in Leeds. So that's another big British, big British stadium fight, fight isn't it? A big British derby. So, you know. 
all, all good all good things you know ahead of Lee Wood uh, for the time being. And then uh, over in Bournemouth, we had uh, a memorable night for Chris Billum Smith as he became the WBO cruiserweight champion, beating uh, former teammate uh, Lawrence Acoli. Yeah, um, I only saw highlights of that one because there was a lot of boxing on last night, and I was I was at a friend's house, an ex-pro boxer who lives up the road from me. We were watching BT Sport on my phone on a tripod. And we were watching DAZN on his laptop out in the gazebo in the garden. Um, and the I was getting updates from the from the from the general Facebook boxing massive about what was going on with Akoli. I watched the highlights today, and the highlights were essentially with three knockdowns scored against Akoli and two points deductions. And that really was they they kind of were the highlights essentially. People who actually watched it in real time said it was cruel and unusual punishment to go through. Okay. But it looked like an emotional night, you know. It's it's it is, it's nice to see like a like a a provincial town like that salute its you know its favourite son in Chris Billum Smith. It, it, it did look like it was some it was a night to remember for for, for the town of Bournemouth. Got to say to you, um, the knockdowns yet. Yeah, there was only two of them were not clean. I don't believe. I mean, I watched the highlights, um, and um, the first one was clean. It was a left hook landed, albeit on the blind side of the cameras, but but it was definitely a left hook that landed and put a Coley down. Um, but the other two knockdowns, which I believe happened in the 10th and 11th, the first knockdown was in the fourth round. The knockdowns in the 10th and 11th, they didn't look clean. He kind of fell to his knees while he was kind of hanging on. And um, it didn't look like massively clean punches that landed. So I think maybe he'd lost the sympathy of the referee, Marcus McDonald, yeah. I believe it was, you know, who'd obviously deducted a couple of points for his excessive holding. I mean, holding is a part of boxing. Clinching is part of the law of boxing. But mm-hmm. the way Akoli does it is is above and beyond, you know. And eventually, referees will take points off for it. And at some point, as Henry Akinwandi discovered one time, you know, that they will disqualify you, you know. But but um, maybe that's why he awarded the knockdowns against him as well. Because I, I think, I'm not sure all three of those were knockdowns. You know, people people were saying that it was outrageous that it was a majority decision because one of the judges had somehow found them all, all square, which does seem very disingenuous. I'm not going to say too much about that because I didn't watch the fight. I watched the highlights. I see Akoli landing some big shots. You know, there was a big right hand left hook that looked like it had rocked Philip Smith in the highlights I saw. So he was coming back and having his moments, but I'm not convinced all the knockdowns were kosher, but certainly when three of them were awarded and two points were deducted, what I can easily see how people are so aghast at, the, at the one one of the judges scoring it even, but where is that going to end? We, we're used to this by now, right? We're used to crazy scorecards. We're used to bad yeah. decisions, and we're used to one crazy scorecard next to two relatively sensible ones. We get that a lot, right? Indeed, so, yeah. It's like a, almost feels like a weekly thing, doesn't it? Where you're talking about some sort of card being outrageously bad or whatnot there's always a discussion about the scorecards um ben just before we go to i want to go to uh, uh, a comment from jeff thompson in just a sec but just before we do i wanted to ask you about okoli i see on social media a lot of criticism towards him in the build-up to this fight just in regards to his kind of fighting style uh not being particularly fan friendly and just being a bit i suppose not enjoyable to watch for fans what do you make of that as you know, for him yeah. as a fighter, like where do you see him? I think the, the the perception of him at this point is he made Johnny Nelson look like Arturo Getty. You know, um, <clears throat> he's like come back, all is forgiven, Johnny. Um, mm. But um, he is ugly to watch. You know, I mean, he, he he holds excessively. He's got no idea how to fight on the inside. As much as I'm stating the obvious and saying whatever other people say, um, he he doesn't know how to fight inside. It's it doesn't it's you know it's weird. I was saying today that Sugarhill Stewart got loads of props for being some, you know, uh, great reformer of Tyson Fury's style and making it more aggressive. And some people like to come out with this nonsense. It's the Kronk style and all that bollocks. But he obviously hasn't worked wonders with Lawrence Coley, has he? So it's a fighter, isn't it? It's, it's you know, Angelo Dundee knew what he was talking about when he said, "I'm only as good as the guy on the stool." Um, it's not as if Sugar Hill presumably doesn't doesn't know about inside fighting. I'd be very surprised if he didn't understand about that. And I'd be very surprised if he didn't do some work uh, with him in the gym on that kind of stuff. Although I don't know how often he works with him, to be honest with you, because some of these some of these celebrity name coaches, they come in, you know, towards the end of a camp. That does happen, you know. 
Enzo okay. Lundin did that with Shigoy Leonard. He only ever... Shigoy Leonard said to me, um, he said, people don't know this, but Angie never trained me per se. He would come in two weeks prior to a fight. And um, and there was a lot of conflict between Shigoy Leonard's manager, you know, his attorney, Mike Trainer, and Angelo Dundee uh, on account of that because he said, you are not doing your due diligence. You're not doing enough for Ray. And, and he actually renegotiated his contract and gave him quite a substantial pay cut uh, before Ray Leonard became a world champion because he said, you're not doing what you were hired to do. And I know that uh, I don't know how much work Sugar Hill does with um, with Lawrence Acoli. I don't know if he works with other coaches while he's getting ready before that happens. But, you know, it's you'd think he would have addressed the lack of infighting because if Dave on Twitter, you know, can talk about yeah. it or, the, or, or, you know, or, or Steve in the pub, you'd think that Sugar Hill was aware that his man had no inside game and might have wanted to look into that. But, it doesn't appear to have done any good, you know. I mean, Akoli is saving grace. Is he's a big puncher, you know, and he, he has banged a few people out uh, thus far. And because of that, it can be watchable if he can catch a guy uh, sweet early. But um, if he goes a distance, uh, it, it is a, it's a rather unattractive spectacle, you know. It's, yeah, it's not pretty at all, is it? Um, so, uh, Jeff Thompson said... Uh, Lara may not have been himself, 100% himself last night, uh, but he was. he's only got himself to blame. I wouldn't like to take any shine off Wood's win. He was terrific round by round with the help of Davidson, who's a great operator. Well, see, I, I disagree that Wood was terrific. I think Wood was OK. Um, Wood did what he had to do. I'm not trying to be negative and I'm not trying to dig out. I know Ben Davidson. I haven't seen him for a while, but I do know him. And I know Barry Smith. Uh, rather more well, who works in a corner with, with Ben Davis, the big guy with the glasses, yeah, with the yeah. Uh, the Nottingham Forest scarf on last night, you know. Uh, so I'm not looking to 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 rain on their parade and, and say any of kind of controversial acerbic things about their fighter when you know because it would be just seen as kind of uh, churlish, wouldn't it? It'd be like you know, it, listen. What one thing I will say: uh, Wood shows major cojones for getting he would get knocked out like that, you know. Um, by a guy, and you get back in with him. It takes a lot of cojones. It takes a lot of self-belief. He is a warrior. He deserves the success. He deserves every penny he's getting. I wasn't blown away by his performance, to be honest with you. I was really disappointed. I hate to be negative, but I was really disappointed uh, in Lara. And that was my take on it when I when I posted on Facebook afterwards. I said, what well, Lara was massively disappointed. I didn't say... I, my emotion wasn't Wood was fantastic tonight. It was like... Fuck me, Lara was terrible. Okay, yeah. some people would say it was Wood who, who diffused him and made him look terrible, but he had come in in the ring in a strange mindset, Lara, no question. But like I say, Lee Wood um, was fantastic before when he beat Michael. I would say that was fantastic when he and terrific when he beat Michael Conlon and you know and came back from the adversity to do that. That's one of the greatest fights we've seen you know in recent years in a, in a British ring. Um, unbelievable drama so Lee Wood is obviously a, a, a really good guy and, he, and he's got balls the size of the Soviet army and fair play to him you know I, I wish him luck in future but it didn't do it for me last night I just thought the whole fight was extraordinarily almost kind of soporific to be honest with you soporific is a word there you go find me another There's podcast that comes out a word like that and I'll exactly wait that. I'll wait honestly I'll yeah. stay here could be waiting a while um yeah. So just to finish this off, I wanted to kind of ask you about a subject which I think you said you didn't want to talk about anymore out of frustration. Yeah. But so a, a, few, a while back, it looked like we were going to get Fury versus Usyk and uh, Joshua versus Wilder in the in the Saudi or the Middle East somewhere. Um, that kind of never came to fruition. And then a couple of days ago, Tyson Fury said he sent a formal contract to Anthony Joshua for a fight in September at Wembley. Yeah. Eddie Hearn uh, responded with a kind of, that they were looking to fight Deontay Wilder in December and they were not willing to alter those plans. And it yeah. it's all seems just to, a lot of talking to me, but you tell me how you feel about it all. Well, I feel, you know, jaded and, and, and uh, disinterested in it, to be honest with you, Simon. I, as you know, I said... I think it was two weeks ago or thereabouts. I said, I'm not going to report any more Tyson Fury news until he actually signs a contract. And some people quipped, oh, you know, you're a braver man than I am. I'd wait till he gets in a ring and blah, blah, blah. But we, I, I feel that fans have um, 
are increasingly fed up of it and they've lost interest in the rumours and the, and the back and forths and the sound bites and the Instagram videos. I know my lot definitely have. And I think that there comes a point when they'll stop taking the bait and they'll stop, uh, you know, like the boy who cried wolf. Um, Jeff Thompson, right as we speak, is saying, lost all respect for Fury. The O is what it's all about. You know, the idea that he wants to say undefeated. I think, see... Is Fury that guy who only causes X up when she gets a new a new fella kind of thing? You know yeah. what I mean? Is is that what's going on here? He was. I'm only talking about him because you asked me. Um, so I will do. You know, I I won't be posting about him until he signs a fight. But okay, he was spoke. You know, he went to Australia to support Joseph Parker uh, last week, right? Um, or the, oh, it might be the week just gone. Um, but in any case, he was linked while he was there to fighting uh, Dempsey McKean. Uh, yeah. Australian heavyweight, uh, I believe. Um, and a guy called Jay, I can't say his name, Jay Opalicia or something like that. It's 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 spelled Opalicia kind of way. Yeah. He's the IBF cruiserweight champion, okay? He's another Aussie based fighter. He doesn't sound Australian, does he? But he's know, but, he but he's a he's an Aussie based fighter. Now, he, um, they both think they might be fighting Tyson Fury. I remember Ebony Bridges said, how many people is Tyson Fury sweet-talking making them think they're going to get a shot? He goes, both these Aussies think they're going to get a shot. She goes, he'll probably offer me a shot at some point, she said, you know, uh, jokingly, obviously. Um, and um, she was kind of saying, we're all over this kind of thing. You know, fair play to Ebony Bridges for making that observation because there you go. So he, he, he's fighting the IBF Cruiserweight champion, whose surname I can't pronounce. He's fighting Dempsey McKean. He's going to fight, uh, he was supposed to fight Andy Ruiz at one point. Remember that? That was a couple of months ago now. He's going to, no, he's changed his mind. The Andy Joshua talks are back on. They're back on, are they? Even though when he said they'd sent a draft contract to Andy uh, Joshua's team, Eddie Hearn said, no, they haven't. And then, yeah. and then I think George Warren clarified, well, no, we, we, we didn't say a draft contract. We said we sent a formal proposal offering him exactly what was on offer last time, a 60-40 take it or leave it. Do you remember they said, it's like, you, you can do it, but you have to sign it in red invisible ink in the next 17 minutes. Otherwise, mm -hmm. well, otherwise we're going to move on. Remember? Um, yeah. So uh, now they've said, all right, well, you can have a bit more time this time, AJ. You, you, you need to fight anyway. You've, you've recently been out-ish against Franklin. You were going to fight uh, Wilder in December. Why don't you fight us in September? Yeah. So uh, from what I understand, Eddie Hearn said, we haven't received a draft contract and we're still focused on fighting Wilder. Um, in um in Saudi Arabia in December and and you know that was supposed to be the Super Show right where we're going to have Fury and Usyk on the same night and yeah. they all the indications the noises from those people those consortiums who get these things done out there they were saying the Wilder Joshua talks are moving quite optimistically but Fury and Usyk looks like a problem well go figure it would be wouldn't it you know so what I see is people who were previously Tyson Fury devotees who who worshipped at the altar of Tyson Fury, who are now starting to turn on a little bit and saying, I've had enough of him. So um, Fury needs some damage limitation legacy inside the ring soon. Um, but you know what? It'll be easy enough. Fury can come back. Another impressive performance. He wears the world again. And, and it, he will be forgiven, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's just, it gets frustrating, doesn't it? Like, how long have we been waiting to see Anthony Joshua fight Tyson Fury? It feels like about 10 years I'm sure I'm not sure it's quite that long, but it does feel like it's like this never-ending talking about how they're going to fight each other, how they I'm beat honest, each other. But it's never not, come close to being. I'm not. I'm not over. I don't even think it's fight. the. I'm not. Yeah, I don't care about it anymore. I'd much rather see Joshua versus Wilder yeah, or Usyk yeah, and Fury. Yeah, I mean that would be a great bill, wouldn't it? You know, let, let's let's yeah. be honest. I mean, for some people, it would be the. It would be the biggest night of boxing in their generation. I wouldn't call it that, but some people <coughs> who are Certainly younger... for the modern, modern generation, era, like younger yeah. fans, it would be, wouldn't it? No, and, I, and I'd love to see... Um, Joshua Wilder is a good fight anyway, because, you know, because someone's getting knocked out, you know that. Yeah. Uh, and Usyk Fury, that would determine... That would be the final determination of the World Heavyweight Championship, which still needs to happen. And the thing is, Fury is a good fighter, um, a very good fighter, um, who probably has the wherewithal to beat any other man on the planet, you know, being the fact he's a heavyweight. Um, but the longer he doesn't box for, the longer he stays inactive and the longer he keeps um, restricting his activity to bluster on social media. And, you know, let's not forget all the back and forth with John Jones, the MMA fighter and all that nonsense. But, you know, which, I mean, who gives a toss about that? But I guess some people do. Go but on and on. Certainly yeah. not I, you know, so, look, like I say, Simon, 
for, we've got to stop jumping. We, you know, when I say we, I mean, I'm an independent journalist, okay? I've got a little bit of a following, a little bit of clout, um, but I'm not in the in crowd, okay? So I've got my little small section of the market, and I feel we, um, as people who cover boxing, have got to stop jumping every time Tyson Fury threatens to fight somebody. There has to be at some point a disengage and to say, all right, well, let's look to what is actually happening. Because we've, we've had Tank versus Garcia this year. We've had Haney versus Lomachenko, despite their controversy. Still a great fight, an undisputable title fight. We've got um, Spencer Crawford finally happening in July uh, 20, I think it's July 29th, right? Which it's a little bit past, maybe it's arguably a tiny bit past its sell-by date, but it's still it's still a big, big fight that some people is, is, the, is, the, is the premier fight they still want to see in boxing. It's still got two elite fighters in it who are undefeated so perhaps it hasn't been such a bad year 2023 and maybe we could just need to kind of stop um, dancing to Fury, Tyson Fury's um, tune every time he starts a rumour uh, you know every time a rumour circulates on Twitter. Well it's almost like it's um, he'll kind of leave it a week or two and then he, he gets bored or he needs a bit of attention or whatever it may be maybe he gets paid I don't know but he just will say something about someone, put a little video up. Everyone goes reporting it everywhere. Fury's going to do this. Fury's going to do that. Nothing comes of it. And then two weeks later, it'll be someone else. And it's interesting. Exactly. You mentioned all those fighters that he's been linked with fighting, the Australians and Usyk and AJ and that. But he, and then you mentioned John Jones as well from MMA. But he's also been linked with fighting Francis Ngannou, who's an yeah. MMA fighter, massive MMA fighter. And it's like, he can't possibly fight them all, but it would be nice if he fought one of them, just someone, because it does feel yeah. a bit like it's just almost stringing you along, you know? Well, yeah, because he's always had that kind of um, flirtatious relationship with social media because he, he likes the kind of... He, he likes the fact, I'm convinced, that, that he, can, he has that power and reach, that he can say something outrageous and it will travel across the world that quickly yeah. he, ever since he was his fake retirements and all the rest of it and he's been doing that for a long time actually i think he is kind of enamored of that fact that he has that kind of reach you know um online really but um mm. my friend john doyle just said inua is fighting for the super bantamweight title in july forget fury and that to be honest temporarily that's what i'm doing i mean i don't have a downer on fury per se but i just think until until he, until he actually lets us know who he is fighting and makes you know a meaningful defence of that of the, of, of that the, the belt that he has, you know. Um, then I, I just don't see what else I can do because I feel I'd be being disingenuous if, if I'd have posted over the weekend. Fury Joshua talk said to be back on. I think people would have finally got fed up with me for even posting it. That, yeah, of that's how my lot feel. There's there's a certain characteristic on the page, the kind of people who follow the page, and the way you know it, you would get the same energy on on some of the other forums. And, and I know my lot would be like Ben, shut the fuck up. If I told mm -hmm. them that. That I, I can sense they don't want to hear any more about it. And neither do I, unless he's going to fight somebody. Well, I think, to be honest with you, I feel like the general feeling is a bit of frustration with it all now anyway, even from people who are yeah. a bit more sort of casual in their boxing I mean, viewing. Do you know what? The, the other fight's being talked about is Usyk versus Wilder. I, lo I love that fight too. I think that's a, that's yeah, a great a really fight. Yeah, that'd be interesting one. Because you've got the, you know, the lethal, you know, murderous puncher who's got his technical frailties like everybody knows against, you know, the... The kind of more technical ring genius Southpaw. I mean, but but who could still get knocked out by Wilder? You know, that, that's still a possibility. So, I would love to see because you really switched on when you see a, an ultra elite skillful guy against a murderous puncher, knowing that if he doesn't stay on his game and, and get everything put, it doesn't execute everything per perfectly, he may end up in a pile of rubble on the canvas. Um, you know, um, that that to me is a great fight, even. I thought Sugar Ray Leonard versus Tommy Hearns is that kind of fight because I thought Ray was the you know was the brilliant boxer coming in and that Tommy was the murderous puncher. Obviously, there was a 180-degree twist in the plot in that fight and Leonard ended up being the puncher and Hearns got on his bike. But, but you know, I like Usyk and Wilder. Uh, that, that's a good fight too. And I don't, we don't necessarily need Fury. Like John Doyle says, other people are fighting right now. Some of the big, the big names are getting into the ring with each other. We do have a few undisputed world champions. And uh, we don't need Fury. We could survive without him. If, if, he, if he left tomorrow, we'd survive perfectly okay without him. He probably doesn't live in that kind of mindset. He probably doesn't believe that. 
Well, it was almost. Don Dawson, he commends the page for going silent on Fury. Benign announcements. So, you know. Um, and Ellen K. Bronson simply says no. I don't know what <laughs> she says no to yeah, because I thought she missed a bit where she said it. But, yeah. um, but I thought it was refreshing how quickly, or certainly how quickly it seemed, which is maybe a reflection on boxing overall, how quickly the Garcia and Tank fight got made and they just got it done. Now, I'm sure there was behind-the-scenes conversations for a while regarding it, but it did seem like they both kind of went, we want to fight each other, they got it sorted, it, and then it, it was It was on. a little bit, it took a, a little bit of a while to marinate, as I recall. It, was, it wasn't like Leonard Hearns where they made it in an airport coffee shop in, in, yeah. in, in one morning of a, a breakfast meeting, but but they um, for a while it looked like it might be off, and the usual things that queer the deal were going to rear their head, and then the next minute, no, it was on, and they did it. You know, and fair play. The, the, what the thing I said at the time was that unfortunately we live in a day and age, and some people regarded that as a super fight, and I think that's only because we've been starved of genuine super fights, you know, bona fide super fights, that we have to feel that way, or some people feel that way about a matchup like that, which really wouldn't have been. I want to sound like a stuck record, but it really would have been all that in the 1980s. In the 1980s, Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello. I, I always remember uh, KO Magazine called it a trade super fight. They said it's not quite... He said it's huge and it, it's fantastic and it's mouth-watering, but it's not a super fight like Leonard um, versus Hearns, you know, or, or, or like... Um, I'm trying to think about it. Or, or they even said Holmes Cooney, which is... the See, that's slightly different, though, because... because um, Prior and Arguello collectively were better fighters than Holmes with Cooney mm. making up those numbers, you know. So I'm probably slightly distracted from my point. But the point is, I do remember it, their definition was that it was a trade super fight, whereas now we haven't had a fight anywhere near to Prior versus Arguello in this day and age. Certain, not, not, not Spence Crawford, certainly not. And, and definitely not Tangus versus Garcia, you know. Yeah, and I mean, as I said, maybe kind of from the outside looking in for someone like me, seeing that fight being made as what felt quite quickly shows how long we have to so often wait over the years for these big fights to come around. Sometimes they don't come around. Sometimes they come around yeah. too late. Um, and on that subject, you mentioned that you maybe some people feel like the Spence uh, Crawford fight is probably a little late in the day in terms of them being, you know, at their, at their very best or whatnot. Um, but Jeff Thompson did ask a question regarding that. So I thought we'd finish on that, which was, um, can uh, Errol Spence beat Crawford? Um, I think he can do, because I think that's why it's a big fight and that's why there's a lot of interest in it. If the answer was resoundingly no, then, um, then you know, um, there wouldn't be that suspense around it. I, my gut feeling is that I fancy... Crawford, because I think he may be the better, more versatile fighter of the two. And um, I just, I just see him coming out on top in a boxing match. When you think of when they pit the best of each other against one another, you know. But um, but Spence is a bigger guy than Crawford. Certainly, he's, he's a huge welterweight. To be honest with you, he's more like a middleweight when he gets in a ring. Uh, Crawford, as you probably know, came up for super featherweight back in the day, so he's, he's a naturally smaller man. Uh, Spence might be too big for him, although although Craw I think Crawford's a better fighter. You know exactly that's John Doyle echoing what I was saying there. Jeff Thompson says Spence is a good fighter, but Crawford is maybe once in a lifetime. See, that's what I feel. Whether he's once in a lifetime or not, I feel Terence Crawford is the is the bigger, more versatile talent, the slightly more special talent of two special talents. And I think game plan wise, I think he will. I think he will. He, he can box. Uh, Southpaw as well as he can box Orthodox which can be a factor against Southpaw like Spence and um, the thing that Crawford is very good at is making adjustments and, and figuring out these opponents' weaknesses and patterns in the first few rounds and devising something which nullifies their strengths, you know, he's, he's very, very good at that Indeed um, and in terms of, you mentioned super fights like where does uh, Crawford Spence rank on your kind of super super fight scale if you like De La Hoya Trinidad Oscar De La Hoya versus Felix Trinidad I think it's like that only the difference of those is I, I think Trinidad and De La Hoya fought when it was hotter <coughs> it was hotter off the plate do you know what I mean it was yeah. it wasn't rewarmed it wasn't warmed over this this one has already been this is the Chinese takeaway right that would have been absolutely great but you fell asleep you didn't have it and you heated it up the next day 
that's the kind of thing was was um the the um Trinidad de la Hoya was hot off the press, as it were. You know, it, it, Leonard Hearns was bigger, better than either of them. But I would say it's kind of similar to Trinidad and de la Hoya. Yeah, and it's still a fight which certainly has a, like, piques the interest. Still a big fight, isn't it? And it's something that I think... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Boxing fans will look forward to, even, yeah. you know, with the age of the guys, I think. The thing is, you know, maybe the Pacquiao was was somewhat past his sell by day, but it still made historical numbers, yeah. didn't it? So you, you can't tell fighters that or the industry they're getting it wrong when we say because what we often say or people on my page say this is what's killing boxing or this is what's hurting boxing it's not killing boxing but some people are making money hand over fist that that is how you define if something is alive and well i suppose as a commercial enterprise you know as kind of capitalist and sort of cutthroat as it is um so you can't tell floyd he did the wrong damn thing when he made the money he made to fight manny pacquiao a point when he knew he could beat him as opposed to when a, a point when he wasn't sure if he could beat him, maybe, you know? So yeah. if the public still lap it up in droves, and they will with Spencer Crawford as well, you know, um, I mean, they, they, they're the big names that maybe the Pacquiao were, but they will still do very well with this fight. So you, you can't tell people they're making mistakes and getting it wrong when things work out okay for them. But what some people say is, fighters are wiser today. This is why you've got this situation, yeah? They say that fighters wised up. I'll give you an example. Bob Arum spoke about Shakur Stevenson versus Devin Haney. I think it was. Or, you know what? It may have been Javonta Davis versus Shakur Stevenson. He, it was, it, he was talking about either that matchup or the other one, yeah? It was definitely involved Shakur. And he said, ain't going to happen because of how much... He said, it's what the fighters both want. He said, back in the day, they'd fight for for small guarantees and a percentage of the gate. He said, relatively small guarantees. They would they would do it for, you know, big fights where they're really rolling the dice, taking a risk. Now, today, they want too much in the way of guarantees. He said, in a way that inhibits the promoter and makes him worry that he can't make money or that he, st- he might stand to lose. Now, when I posted that quote from Arab, some of the people on my thing, including an ex-professional boxer, said, exactly, the fighters have got wise. They've got wise to that racket. And now they know they're worth the trouble is, I think some of them have an inflated sense of their worth today. But there, were, there are people who will argue for, for everything we complain about day in, day out on my page. You know, the the multiple world champions, the um, the spurious mandatories, the lack of meaningful fights being made when they should be made, the um, rematch clause and everything else. There are people who will tell you things are absolutely great and they're evolving because fight, more fighters are making life-changing money. That's what they will try and tell you. Um you know, so that's my that's my thought for the for the Sunday. <laughs> Indeed, mate. Um, that's pretty much it, I think, from me. Uh, I think I've yep. covered all the co- questions and subjects I wanted to ask you about. Um, I'd just like to always, say, um, Michael Largeday will be back, I believe, um, next week, and we're looking at getting former WBC heavyweight champion Pinkman Thomas on the show. He said something also about the referee Harvey Doc. Uh, which was a surprise to me. That came out of nowhere today. He said he was looking to get him as well, which will be interesting because re- referees hardly ever talk to the media, especially leading yeah. Nevada uh, referees. But uh, we'll very much be looking forward to talking to Pinkland Thomas if he comes through. He- he's up for doing it. Apparently, he just has a crazy busy schedule, which is good to hear, by the way. Um, but Pinkland Thomas, if you didn't know about him, he was the heir apparent for a while in the 1980s, relieved him with the spoon of his WBA, sorry, of his WBC heavyweight title. Uh, knocked out Mike Weaver in defence of it and was looking like the heir apparent until he surprisingly lost to Trevor Burbick. And then along came a kid called Mike Tyson and you know the rest, but Pinkman Thomas is one of those kind of forgotten kind of heroes of that particular heavyweight age. And uh, hopefully we can bring him to you next week. Good guess, mate. Funny enough, I had um, a an MMA ref and judge on with me and Danny before. And it was one of my, of all the guests we'd had, it was one of my favourite uh, guests that we had join us because I I really learned a lot in terms of just how they look at it. Because you see so many complaints about refereeing and judges 
in MMA and boxing. So to get that kind of direct insight from that side of things was really interesting. So I'd be I'd be yeah. looking forward to that if you can get that get that sorted. Watch this space, guys. Indeed. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Ben? No, you good? No, that, that that covers it for now. Thanks, thanks for filling in, um, uh, Simon. As always, um, Silk might argue that you're not as good looking as him, but the fact is, you stepped up to the plate, and that's what I think counts. Indeed, mate. I I've never been one for my looks. I just do it with the quality, quality over quantity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always fun, mate. I always enjoy it, so it's not not a problem. But I'll be back behind the scenes next week comfortable okay everybody be good in the meantime we'll be back cheers sports social podcast network it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.